0: Hi, this is Mary. Welcome to my podcast, Mental State, where I talk about all things mental health and more. Today I have on my show a very special guest. Her name is Tanya Cole Lesnick, and she began her career as an individual and group therapist. Through her decades of experience facilitating therapy groups, Tanya has designed a unique program called the Activate Coaching Program. This program helps you identify and clear energetic clutter that is in the way of you moving forward with your life. And it helps you focus on goals that are in alignment with what matters most to you. When I first talked to Tanya, I was so excited about this idea that she came up with about energetic clutter. And we both laughed because I just said to her, I said, Oh my gosh, you're like the Marie Kondo of. Personal energy, right? Like we want to get rid of that clutter. What are the things that don't spark joy? And I feel like that clutter keeps us from moving forward. And so, Tanya, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Tanya, after I was reading about you on your website and you were talking about how you had this life changing experience in group therapy. And I'm curious about that life changing experience.
1: Yeah. Well, i first went to group therapy when i was struggling i really wanted to have a long-term love relationship and i dreamed of being married and having kids one day and it wasn't happening for me and i didn't understand what was in the way and so i first went to therapy and then that therapist also suggested i had group she did both And it was in that experience of being with other people on their personal growth journeys, I went into that situation having an answer to my own question, you know, what's in the way and thinking that perhaps I was unlovable and maybe that was what was in the way. And so going into an experience, feeling that worry, feeling that, maybe somebody would call that out and confirm that I was unlovable. Mm. And I even had a tricky question early on, or not even a question, but a guy in group early on said he could spot my neediness. And so to me, that was like, oh my God, he is actually verifying that I'm unlovable, which isn't what he was doing, but it was certainly hard to get that feedback. And in my mind, I'm thinking I'm hiding all this stuff and, Clearly it wasn't hidden, but in that process of hearing from other people on their personal growth journeys, it helped me see other people that I was building relationships with and starting to admire and really start to love some of these people and see them struggling with some of their own insecurities. And um, it helped put a crack in mine. And it helped me start to question this limiting belief that I had been carrying around and learn about needs and learn about having compassion for myself and really starting to see, oh, it's not that I'm flawed necessarily. I mean, obviously there's all different parts of who we are, all different layers and shadow side and all of that, but it's really being human. And I just softened a lot about how I saw myself and it changed how I showed up in the world outside of the group situation because I was starting to curate less of what I Mm. was putting out there to show the world because when I thought I was unlovable I was very immersed in in thinking through everything I did and said before I did and said it I was not very present and as I got more compassionate towards myself I was much more in my body and present and able to um Connect to people in a more genuine way, and it—I met my husband at that time, and we've been married 31 years now. So it's like, it really changed my life.
0: Wow, I think that's so interesting because I know that for me, when I was younger, I have been injured in being in participating in groups like social groups, you know, like friends groups. And so I really started to get an aversion to groups like, oh, no, I don't belong to any group because it was so painful. Um, Mm -hmm. And just what I'm hearing you say, it's like maybe I just didn't feel, you know, seen and heard. And I I ended up having a lot of social anxiety as a result of that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, now looking back, like I like group therapy was just not something that I was going to be a part of. And I recently participated in a, in a group over the last week, which was led by Bessel van der Kolk, which as we know, is one of the preeminent trauma therapists in the world and wrote that book, The Body Keeps the Score. And even going into that group, I had so much apprehension. And then you know, through the different exercises that we did in the group and the holding and the being seen and heard and, and validated, it really had a very powerful healing experience for me. And now I kind of see groups in, in such a different way. And so, you know, I'm curious because I know that you have been in this field for over for almost 30 years and started out as an individual therapist. And so you know, I'm curious, like what you notice the difference in your work between doing that individual work and the group work.
1: You mean as a practitioner, as, as a practitioner a therapist and, a, yes. and a coach, mm-hmm. um, and a coach. Hi, For me, I feel like there's a richness to group work that doesn't exist in individual because you have the sharing of people on journeys together. And there's something in that experience of really feeling in your body, oh, I'm not alone, that I think is so powerful. And when it's done right, because I hear you about that injury, and it makes a difference on how a group is run, who's running it, how do they run it, all of that makes a real difference. And I, as much as I love group, I've been in groups where I feel like, hmm, I'm just going to like remove myself a little bit and not been as present. It really depends very much on the culture that gets created in the group. What is, What are kind of the agreements going into a group situation that people understand? What is the space like inside of a group? Um, so in terms of me running a group, I put a lot of attention towards creating a safe space where we share intimate things. Um, I share parts of my own humanness with, I do individually as well and in group, but I think there's such a culture of, oh, this is what we do here, that when people do my group, there is a quick feeling, okay, this is safe here. And we have an understanding as we're going on our journey together that, we're sharing intimate things that we don't necessarily share with the rest of the world, or certainly not everybody. And we celebrate each other. We, if somebody is sharing something that is hard to say or that's um, a tender spot, we we acknowledge that with each other. And so it's like I always think of it. It's almost like. I don't know why I think of it like a soup almost, mm-hmm. you know, like all the different people and and sort of helping people connect to each other. One of the questions that I ask most of all in the sharing with my um, groups is what's resonating for you as you're hearing the other people in the group share so that we're very intentional about the overlap and where we're resonating with each other and and sharing different parts of ourselves so we really feel seen. It's so important
0: one of the lenses that I, that I view in my own work is I use like the lens of attachment style. Now that's not the only lens I use, but that's one of the lenses that I use. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just wondering, do you, in your group work, do you see shifts in attachment styles from insecure to earn secure attachment?
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's something that gets practiced in group and Mm -hmm. people are sharing some of those parts that I talked about. And then they take some of what they've practiced in the group Outside of group, depending on what specifics they're working right. on. So we'll kind of identify what somebody wants to bring outside of group and why and their understanding of that. And then we follow up with each other. We have a certain amount of accountability. And so there is a real experiential um, experience of going through some of these things again first in group so it just changes us I think it changes our wiring even when we're able to have a different kind of healing experience and then start to be more mindful of how do we want to intentionally move forward on certain parts of our journeys
0: yeah and it's it's so in a group setting it's like you can You know, you can celebrate those wins where it's like you're working on something in the group and then somebody takes it outside of the group and works on a relational piece out there and has a, has a, um, a more corrective experience out in the real world. I'm just curious, like when somebody doesn't have that corrective experience and then they come back to the group and they, and they bring that in, I'm just wondering, how do you see that being supported by other group members?
1: when they don't have the corrective experience Mm -hmm. i think people um because there's such intimacy we do share with each other some of those ins and outs and i think we celebrate each inching each bit of the inching along so if somebody first is identifying it that's huge and then they're making a decision about what they want to do out there in the the world outside of group that's huge. If they try something and they don't succeed, we talk about, first of all, how amazing it is that they've identified it and tried it. Mm -hmm. And then we reassess, like, is this continuing to be the path that makes sense for you to continue, come back and we'll keep trying on this one. Does it feel like it's not quite right and we may adjust it. Um, And so there's real transparency of the journey and we share, um, the, just all the different layers with each other, so we kind of celebrate more being on the journey than we do yeah. successes necessarily. We feel like taking steps and being brave and doing some of those hard things is so amazing and something for us to celebrate.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, I like to tell my clients when they they are working on something and then they go out they go out into the real world and mm-hmm. apply it. And even if it doesn't, you know, quite go the way that they imagine it going, it's more of the doing Mm -hmm. and also they're just in a different place in their journey because I'm reminding them that they're doing the work and maybe the person that they're interacting with may not be doing the same type of work or may not be seeing it in the same type of way that they, that you see it. And that's okay.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. And that gives us information, right? So you try to do this thing. Is there a new decision you're making about this person in your life, about what their capacity is and how much you're going to push to do some of this work? And at some point, a decision that somebody is just not where you need them to be in that process is a a very important decision to make. So I think, and I often tell people we learn just as much from what you do as we do from what you don't do. And I know we're not necessarily saying somebody's not done it. We're saying maybe they've done it, but it hasn't been successful, but all the different ways of trying things and seeing what happens and having the experience is all part of the growth process.
0: Yeah. And then also in that group setting, everybody's bringing in their own stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know i love like that you go around and you ask what is resonating for you right now and that people can be in this container where they feel like it's okay to share if something is not resonating with them and so it's just like because what you are saying is this is the human experience and so everyone's not going to have the same feelings or reactions to things that you're, or you're hoping, you know, that like, oh, I'm going into this container and it feels really safe. And then somebody might do something that's feels unsafe. And so I'm just curious, how do you facilitate that? Like when people get really activated in the group setting?
1: I rarely have that in my groups. And I think Mm -hmm. often it's because there is such a, a culture of what we're doing and the journey of right. it, but when it does happen and we're activated, we um, will be transparent about that. And I will sort of question what what's coming up for you, what's going on and see whether or not the person can share a little bit more. Now, often what I do is I'll see people individually as well as group not always sometimes people are finished with individual they just do group but if somebody has some extra stuff coming up and we can see like it's touching a tender spot we will acknowledge that and then i will offer do you need some more time to process that because that might be something that would be helpful for somebody to process a little bit more separately and then decide what are they going to bring back to group so that they can um benefit from both processes, because I think the individual can be really helpful, more helpful Mm -hmm. than group at times, and at times group is more helpful, depending. Um, And so I think there's there's different ways to kind of keep moving forward. Um, But one of the things that you were saying about like paying attention to what's resonating also, and back to your earlier question about well, how am I different as a group leader versus an individual coach? And I think the one thing that I love to see is the unconscious stuff can get touched mm-hmm. in group in a way that doesn't happen in individual because we're kind of on this path and we're identifying everything together. But when you're in a group situation, somebody's gonna say something that you have not been thinking about for 10 years, and then you're like, oh my god, that really resonates. And then you can sort of put this other layer into the picture that you're kind of trying to understand better as you're on that personal growth journey.
0: Yeah. I love that because, you know, healing does not happen alone. Right. And, and there's such power in groups now speaking about power. So you've been doing this work for 30 years and you have developed a program called activate. So I'd love to learn more about that program.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So activate really is the combination of individual and group. Often, people are often scared of group. I mean, that's been my experience. And I know you. Yes. Spoke this a little bit. Right. So that's been my experience.
0: I know I'm going to get completely activated. And I'm going to have to sit in this group. And I'm going to have to sit in my stuff. And I don't yeah. want to sit in my activation which yeah. was, it was just so beautiful to, for me to have a different type of experience last week. And I'm like, okay, that shows me I've done the work. And like now, you know, even as a therapist, I'm interested in yeah. in, in pursuing group therapy on a regular basis.
1: Because actually that activation can be part of what helps us learn what mm-hmm. means- Our healing, what needs our attention and our focus. Um, And even the name, because I I was thinking activate on a lot of different levels. Pay attention to your nervous system, what's getting activated? Pay attention to your heart, where's your heart connecting? And also, what are some of these action steps? Because action is also such an important part of the growth process. And so I think all of that is why I love the name. And so the way I've designed it is with some level of flexibility, because most often people want to start individually, most often occasionally somebody is a fan of group and they might want to come into group, um, but usually it's the other way around. And I start to get to know the people individually and help them identify some of what's in the way for them and then start to educate them a little bit on how group could start to support some of their growth needs and it could address things in a more powerful way than just alone and start to have that conversation. And so when people start to feel ready for it, then they will add group to the mix. Um, And I run my groups every other week. I feel like there's something very um, it's just, you can put it into your life in a way that really more
0: spaciousness. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And um, so all will usually individual then group an individual together where somebody can do some of what I mentioned earlier, like stuff comes up, they don't feel ready yet to share some of the layers in group. They talk separately with me. And not only is it that we have a separate safe space to do some of this processing, but also we've now had a shared experience. So when they talk about something that happened, I was there. And right. so I can speak to my own reaction what i had a sense of what was going on in the room and all these different nuances to that experience that typically we don't see our clients in social settings we hear about it but we don't see it so to be able to see some of that and see some of what's going on in the context of the work that they're doing is so helpful um so, and then when somebody feels like they really kind of have a handle on some of that, and they don't necessarily have the need anymore for the individual processing, they can switch to as needed or just group and really use group as a way to continue on with their personal growth journeys. And the other piece that I offer to the groups is because it's every other week. On the week between the group, I'll offer them a topic that usually grows out of the prior group. So it could be something like the last one we talked about, or what are some of the practices that you use to ground yourself? And it doesn't have to be formal official practices, but what do you do? And I love those conversations because rather than just catching each other up on what's going on, they start to dig a little bit deeper and talk about some of their either past experiences or some of the, um, just as they're going through those quiet in their own spaces, experiences, they're sharing that with each other. And so that's just part of how the group uh, um, is structured. And the Activate program is, customizable. So I don't have a cohort group. People start and end in their own growth process, which is also part of life, right? Like we either join groups or we don't join groups in terms of like our life outside of groups. Sometimes we're the new one. Sometimes we've been around and have relationships and might be hesitant to let somebody new in. And that's part of what we navigate as people are kind of going in and out at different rates.
0: Yeah there's something interesting in that dynamic of introducing a new person into the group and just how the group can like morph and shift around that and how the group reacts, responds to that. And also when somebody leaves the group, mm-hmm. and so there can also be a lot of grief there, right? Yeah. Some people, I, I'm sure you probably see this. I can imagine this, like some people may attach to certain members of the group more than others and so you know it, it's so interesting just to be able to observe people's different experiences of people coming in and people leaving yeah and so i'm just curious you know what do you notice about that like what's alive for you when people come in or people leave especially if somebody's been in there for a really long time and people have developed these relationships yeah. um and then they leave. And that's a, my, my, this wasn't going to be a two-part question, but my second (laughs) question is, do you allow people in the group to have relationships outside of the group?
1: Yeah. That's what I was just going to say, actually. So when I was in my group, that was not allowed. And now I really do a coaching group. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it's less strict, but honestly, I've always allowed the relationships. It has felt important to me that people can, um, navigate that on their own if they really feel connection to somebody and they want to reach out. We have a um, WhatsApp little texting group that we have. And so people can reach out to each other for extra support during, in between. They don't do it that much, but it's there if people are interested and they think they really feel that support from each other. So I do allow, which I think changes what you're asking a little bit because they can maintain some of those relationships. And honestly, I feel kind of sad that I wasn't able to maintain those relationships. There's, there is a, a man that was in two of the groups that I had been early on that I think about sometimes. I'm like, Oh, I wish I knew how to get in touch with him. He was, you know, we had such a, a lovely connection and it feels sad to me that that was just not allowed to be part of it. And I wonder, you know, what happened to that guy? Oh
0: my gosh. Right. I have that with so many clients. Like what happened, you know, what happened to that that person? And, and, um, you know, I think that's the challenging part of being, being a therapist. We're just only in people's lives for a certain amount of time. And, you know, hopefully we do have some positive influences and, Mm -hmm. I imagine they'd probably take a piece of us with them as we hold a piece of them in our, in our own hearts. So you have this program activate. And then what about energetic clutter, which I love because Mm -hmm. I know in my body, I can feel when I have this clutter, you know, I also work in my practice with psychedelic, I do psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, which, you know, ketamine right now is legal psilocybin in some states, but not where I'm located in the state of California. But I know in my own work, I've used psychedelics to assist me in sifting through some of the energetic clutter. Mm -hmm. So I want to know about how you help people with their own energetic clutter.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, energetic clutter is actually a term that I created not that long ago. It's been, I don't know, maybe a year and a half or so now since I first came to it. And it really was in my own process of physical organizing my kitchen cabinets and realizing the connection just that energy and that space. And then I just started to call it that. And there's something in the naming that has been really helpful in my work with people, because if they realize, oh, this would be energetic clutter. And usually it's limiting beliefs that we all can carry from our child, that we all do carry from our childhoods. And then the behaviors that go go along with them. One that I've talked a lot about in my own life is I definitely carry the limiting belief, um, you know, about the, maybe I'm unlovable part, but also will people abandon me if I'm not agreeable, if Mm -hmm. I don't say yes. And so I would engage in a lot of people pleasing behaviors. And then that was really depleting for me. So even recognizing that in my own life and working on that. And then later when I created the term, just having, oh, that's energetic clutter, meaning I don't want that in my psyche. That's not something I need to be processing. And I think starting to identify what are the things that are habitual processing and that our behaviors are connected to a limiting belief. So our behaviors are kind of driven by this idea that's not honoring us, that is not our truth. And so when we can start to identify which are the things that we would say are the energetic clutter, and I have a little animation that I have on my website that sort of explains this concept More fully. And I put on there seven limiting beliefs that are really common, but things like hustling for your worth, or feeling like you're not enough, or feeling like you're too much, or feeling like it's better to take care of other people than ourselves, or it's better to be productive than any other way. If any of those ideas are kind of driving our behavior, then our time and our space and our energy gets filled up with this stuff that depletes us, that might lead to resentment because we're saying yes to things we want to say no to, that cause a certain amount of irritability because we're not really honoring ourselves. We're not resting when we need to rest, those kind of things. And so with my clients, I help them start to make the distinction. Is this something that you want to be intentional about? Do you want to direct your energy here? Or do you feel like this is an example of Energetic clutter and we start to identify that and then when we know which are the ones we can have a little bit of shorthand when people like oh I do that thing or I over caretake and so I jump in like in a group situation maybe they're letting other people have the space in the floor and they're not taking their own space and we can name it as it's happening and so and see it as oh that's one of those things that's an energetic clutter. Thing. And so we can be intentional about addressing it while it's happening. And it takes some of the shame away, too. I think there's something about. I was
0: just, yeah, Yeah. exactly. I was just completely when you were talking about being productive. And a lot of people think, oh, if I'm not productive, like it's my day off. And if I'm not productive, if I'm not doing something, there's so much guilt wrapped around it and shame wrapped around it. And And I think that we forget that when you were talking about the rest, that our bodies need to rest. Mm -hmm. And so many times I hear from people, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. And I remind them, I go, you're revving your nervous system is, has been revving in red for the last two weeks. Your body is catching up to you finally allowing yourself to stop being in the red
1: Mm-hmm. and to
0: dysregulate. And now your body has to catch up to that dysregulation and your body's exhausted and yeah. and it and that needs to be honored. So I love how you're talking about how living from that place of these limiting beliefs, which can be so energy sucking.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if we have a limiting belief connected that the whole thing that you were just talking about, of trying to help somebody see their need for rest. So often people are beating themselves up for that and mm-hmm. say, what's the matter with me? Everybody else seems to be able to handle it. Fine. Why am I the one who can't handle it? And that's another reason why I love group because they realize, Oh, you're not alone. It's not that everybody else can handle it. People are struggling with that sort of push, push, push mentality often. And so it helps i think release it a little bit more
0: mhm and yeah coming off of my week of a group process we ha- also put together this whatsapp group and so many people were like oh my dreams have been crazy and i'm so tired and i noticed that for me i was like i had the i've been having very intense dreams i literally rested all day sunday and i was i was like honoring my body. I was just like, okay, I am i can't go to that birthday party tonight. I'm literally exhausted. I don't think I'm going to be able to make a conversation. Yeah. I want to, but I can't, and I have to honor that and I have to step back. So I love that you talk about this energetic clutter, because I think that these limiting beliefs are also, can also be, even though I know that limiting belief, what you were saying, like some people were like, I don't matter uh, or I'm unlovable. It's like, okay, cognitively, I know that, but I'm also not seeing how I navigate my world through that space and how, again, how completely exhausting it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that thing you were saying earlier about the body catching up, I think, yeah, we can know a lot of things intellectually before we know them on an emotional level. And so I think people can so often engage in this process of their behavior being a little bit more knee jerk and they do these things, but intellectually they can talk themselves through it, but they're emotionally, it can trigger a lot of stuff because even though they get it intellectually, if they start to go against something that doesn't feel safe, then it is so dysregulating. And so knowing that you're not going to be probably both places, Uh, at first. At first, it's just more of an intellectual understanding. And then with time and practice and giving yourself permission, then you can have these other experiences that help bring the body and rewiring and to be less triggering with some of these patterns in our lives.
0: Yeah. And I love that you just said giving ourselves permission because as kids, we grow up and who do we need permission from? Our parents or caregivers? And so a lot of times we internalize that too much and we we're looking for permission from others to be okay with, oh, you don't have to do that thing that you don't want to do. And that again, when you're talking about that people pleasing or I, I have, or the caretaking, I have to go and I got to take care of others, or I got to make sure that I'm acting in a certain way so that people will like me because if they don't, then that's really taps into our survival system. And it's so it's, it's kind of so opposite because it's like, once we do remove the energetic clutter, we do, we have so much more energy.
1: Yes. Yes. And, and when we can sort of not go down that rabbit
0: hole, because it's so so, like, it hurts my brain. When I go down that rabbit hole, (laughs) I literally have to say to myself, shut up, right. Do something different. Turn on, you know, listen to music, just do something different because I literally can feel it in my brain. It feels so heavy when I go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Interesting. When you get in tune with your body, like how that stuff can really, it's like weighs on you. Right. Yeah. Feel that weighing.
1: Yeah. And the more you know yourself, and the Mm -hmm. more you kind of do these investigations, wherever you're doing them. So we're talking about group, but could be journaling, it could be just checking in regularly paying attention. Um, The more we can catch that stuff in action. I know for me doing new things. I have this impatience with myself and when Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I've mastered something, I can be really unkind to myself. And then I start to get overwhelmed and I start to get a little bit more frenzied about things. So knowing that pattern is helpful because I can be like, Oh yeah, there's that thing. There's that thing I know I do. All right, I'm just—it's just new. Read through it. You're doing fine, and sort of doing kind of a reframe and coming back into my body as I catch those patterns in action.
0: Right. So it sounds like you do—you know—you practice what you preach. And how important is that for your clients' growth?
1: I feel like it's so crucial. I feel like it's such an important part of this work because this idea that somehow I, as a therapist and coach, has have had this all figured out and I know what I'm doing and I've mastered life and just follow along with me and I'll tell you how to do it, is not honoring the real layers of being a human being. And I am human. And I have good days, bad days, I struggle with things, of course. And so I think it's in that when my clients are going through something that they don't feel somehow that we're on different levels, we're both human together. Now, as a coach and therapist, I don't bring people into all my journeys. I'm not there for that reason. However, Often that stuff can be helpful in the learning process. So if there's something that somebody is talking about, whether it's group or individual, that I have a story from my own life that can help show some of what's getting touched on, I will share it. I feel like it's an important part
0: of Mm -hmm. the process. When we move Through these processes, when we start to get to know ourselves so much better, when we start to shift the limiting beliefs and make them more expansive, I know personally that I've had to step away from a lot of relationships. Mm. And so I'm just curious in your groups when you're noticing that people before we were I was talking about, we learned this work in the group then we go apply it to the outside world sometimes it's not going to result in in what our fantasy was oh if we talk about it, if we oh open with this person and then we're going to have this more open and deep relationship it may backfire or it just may not just turn out the way that we want it to turn out or we may see that oh this is a relationship that the expiration date has come and it's over and i'm just wondering how that grief and that loss gets processed in the group when someone comes back and they, there, there can be a grieving around a loss of all of these relationships and also a realization that there are going to probably be more relationships that are going to end.
1: Yeah. 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 I think it's continuing to be transparent about it, talking about all the different layers, recognizing That something that maybe was seen a different way is now being seen in in a way that is not serving the person. And so just starting to shift that, because what happens before somebody makes that decision often is that somebody feels like they blame themselves for certain dynamics that, Mm -hmm. not that they're not at all a part of it, but that they can keep trying to like make it better and fix it and put it on themselves to do the work. And to really, I just listened to um, Glennon Doyle's podcast. I love that podcast. And she had somebody talking about emotionally unhealthy, that wasn't the word they were used. immature people. I forget what they referred to it mm-hmm. as. And just even talking about like this mother whose focus really was on her kid, but felt a lot of pull from her mother-in-law and just making Mm. the decision. Like, I love the way she said this and the language was my energy is already spoken for. And meaning that the the relationship with the kid is, or the baby is sort of the top priority and the mother-in-law has got to kind of fit herself around that. And I think having some clarity about like, okay, this isn't working, this isn't serving me, I'm setting a boundary around here, is yeah, it's hard work, but once you can see it and really have some clarity around it, it's hard to unring that bell. And so starting to continue on and either continue gathering information about like, right, it's really not serving me. It brings all this stuff up and getting more clarity around I need to move on from this relationship and and having made that decision and then taking little steps. How can you do a little bit of it? What do you actually need to say? I mean, we talk about some of the actual concrete steps somebody might take, and then we share with each other how the journey went, what came up. And so the pain and the grief that somebody is experiences ends up getting to be part of what we talk about and as we're on these growth journeys, we notice changes in people's energy. And Mm -hmm. so when people do something like that, where they've taken sort of put a boundary in place around somebody that's toxic in their lives and are not allowing that anymore, we often notice a lightness in somebody, a shift, and we give each other feedback about it. So it's like lots of different layers with that. And that's part of how we process it on all the different levels.
0: And if we want to still be in relationship with that person, I notice that I do this. It's like, I've completely shifted the way that I am in relationship to that mm-hmm. person in terms mm-hmm. of, again, going back to that energetic clutter and So instead of me trying to change them, which we know never works, but yeah. we think yeah. we can do <laughs> it. Um, yeah. It's just like, okay, this is just who they are and just living in acceptance of that. And what kind of relationship can I have with this person? And is that enough for me? And then we get to choose and it is Mm -hmm. so empowering. And what you were saying, like it completely shifts in the way that we want to be in the world.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think when you have that clarity and that awareness, then you don't sort of feel emotionally pulled into something that used to be part of some of these difficult relationships is there's a real emotional like, oh, we've got to change it, we've got to fix it, we've got to do this thing. So if you get to this place of and and even sometimes we try it, you know, and then realize, mm-hmm. all right, just like what we've been talking about, like try it and realize, okay, that doesn't feel workable anymore. And I don't mm-hmm. think it's worth continuing to go down that path. And so being real intentional about the energy piece, but also accepting of the limitations of the relationship so that you're not trying to put energy somewhere where it's going to be a drain.
0: Mm -hmm. Exactly. So do you do your groups in person, virtually? How do you run them?
1: I do my groups all virtually. Okay. And I I also love retreats. And so Mm -hmm. I always think of retreats as kind of group. On steroids. That's and, so uh, good. I, I, I love retreats. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, how do people find you?
1: The easiest way for people to find me is my website, which is clearenergeticclutter.com. And so, on there, you can see a little bit of my own group story. I have a little documentary on there, and that animation that I mentioned to you mm-hmm. about energetic clutter. And I offer free discovery sessions for 20 minutes. So if somebody is debating and they're not sure they want to just connect to me and and get a better understanding of how it might look to work with me, then and somebody can schedule that right themselves on me.
0: Thank you so much for sharing all of your work with me. I'm excited. This just makes me want to join a group even more. Do you have anything else to add before we end?
1: The only thing that was like floating around in my mind mm-hmm. is just Brene Brown makes a distinction between fitting in and belonging, Ooh. whereas, fitting in is when we try and change ourselves to be more a part of what we think the group is doing, whereas belonging is when we're true to ourselves and comfortable in our own skin. And just, I love that distinction. I was thinking about it earlier. So I just wanted to just mention that as people are considering you know, what their own goals are and some of the difficulty even with group is if the attention is on fitting in and changing ourselves and that's problematic and how do you belong? How do you stay connected?
0: Yeah. And, and fitting in for me brings up that anxious attachment style, which is so disembodied. Yeah. And exactly. belonging, that sense of that really heartfelt sense of belonging is such an embodied feeling.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. And so, and thank you so much for having me on your show. And I've loved our conversation.
0: I loved meeting you too. So thank you. Thank you again, Tanya Kolesnik, for coming on the show. And I just want to say my conversation with her just really solidified the power of group therapy. And I know that I recently did a workshop and there was so much healing that happened in that group. And I cannot express enough how powerful it is to heal in these groups. So if you're thinking about therapy, maybe group therapy is something you want to look into. I'm going to have all of Tanya's information in the show notes. DM, reach out my website, mary at Marybtherapy.com or DM me at MaryBTherapy on Instagram. And thanks for listening.